Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Gentlemen, it's time. We're here. The national title game is upon us. We are ready to rock and roll. And just like everyone predicted at the beginning of the season, it's Georgia going undefeated, winning the SEC again against TCU, who was definitely not a 200 to one team to make the national title game or win it. Uh, they definitely weren't picked. I think cover three said seventh in the big 12 to start the season. And, you know, no one said it's going to take Sonny Dykes a little time to put this program back together. They all said, national championship first year so uh one is a surprise one is not a surprise but nick how are you doing how is new year's and how has bowl season been treating you uh i'm doing pretty well um new year's was quiet other than you know watching the uh semifinal game uh pretty, <laughs> outside of your living room <laughs> right, pretty, pretty exciting uh but uh, yeah i mean bowl season itself has been First of all, a lot of fun. I mean, there there have been few just absolute blowouts. Um, they started, you know, pretty strong. The first couple of games were close. Uh, we've been treated to more often than not, I feel like, really competitive games. And then uh, we've had quite a few that have just been excellent. I mean, just, just really, really uh, fun games, even some of the what seemed like more lopsided uh, games. Florida State and Oklahoma and the the Cheez It Bowl, right? Oklahoma. Uh, I talked about how I was just certain that our our projection was way too uh, low. I thought Florida State was going to be able to win, you know, two touchdowns easy, uh, and Oklahoma basically controlled the whole game, and, and Florida State was able to to come back and win um, the Pitt UCLA game incredible you know just how how they were able to come back uh in that one notre dame south carolina uh we had an overtime game you know the arizona bowl went to overtime the Tulane usc game one of the best uh that we've seen maybe all year and then obviously the you know semifinal games um were just <laughs> i mean that that georgia comeback you know the the uh just just pretty incredible you know it seemed like everything had to go right and it did um, TCU getting the upset, uh, you know, missed opportunities for Michigan, but TCU capitalizing, I mean, just, just from beginning to end, really, really, uh, fun, competitive bowl season. And it probably helped a little bit that our projections had the best period that we've had all year, maybe one of the best that we've, you know, ever had for, for an extended period, um, the the projections themselves for bowl games uh we hit 68.3 percent against the spread 28 and 13 was the record in our team strength model the the official model uh which is the one we reference 90 percent of the time on this show uh but totals you know we talked about that we were basically on every under i think the exception was three and we went one and two in those that that we had overs on but uh, totals, we were 22 and 19, which is 53.7%, which I would take every week, all season, all year, <laughs> no problem. 
so, you know, was very, very nervous, uh, as I always am. Anytime our projections just line up on one side or the other. Um, but we didn't get punished too badly for that. And, and then our other two models uh, performed really well. Also, our talent edge model, which, as we talk about all the time, is uh, our, our talent numbers only. That one hit 56%. Uh, our prism model, which is the complete other side of things, stats only, doesn't care about talent at all. That was 57.5%. So um, all around, just a, a really, really solid bowl season. Uh, it, it was really rewarding um, because, you know, most most folks out there who are making projections don't have the ability maybe to, to you know, take into account injuries and opt-outs and things like that. That's something we do. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, and, you know, last year uh, we had the complete opposite situation where it was just a horrible, horrible bowl season. So that was really, you know, deflating. This year, the payoff feels like that that hard work uh, was worth it. And then it kept off a, a really solid season overall. So we hit 400 wins for the first time in a season. Uh, we finished at 52.3% uh, against the spread, which is our second best ever. The only uh, other season we did was uh, better than that was in 2020, which was just you know kind of fluky in a lot of ways anyway. Um, but in a smaller sample size. So I, I feel like this probably was our strongest uh, year. And, and it was really nice to see that uh, we got better and better as the season went on. I mean, you guys remember I was ready to quit and you know, throw my computer <laughs> yeah. in the river uh, about week four uh, when things were just like, you know, oh, this is 2021 over again. You know, the, the numbers are bad. We're doing bad. This isn't fun. And then from that point on, I mean, we didn't have a losing week, didn't have a losing record uh, for a single week after week five. And then to finish it off with, um, you know, 68 percent in bowl games, which uh, there there's uh, the, the CFB picker uh, out there uh, that Andrew Percival has put together. We've mentioned his name a couple of times on the show. Um, he's included all of our models, including a couple that aren't even actually like our, our real models. There's, there's an average that I've been keeping track of. And then he uh, apparently input uh, some uh, one time, maybe by accident that like rounded the numbers. So it gives a little bit of a different look, but all of our projection models, except maybe the, the prism model, I think um, uh, was, was down more middle of the pack, but the rest of them were right at the top of, you know, 18 or 19, uh really really you know smart models that that he's been tracking all season so uh it was good i mean it was great on the field and and it was a lot of fun to, to see how our projections uh graded out as well this is uh i i, I would love to hear xavier bragging about uh nick instead i just think it would be different nick or uh, xavier can you brag about nick real quick uh <laughs> To say what he should have just said, because that was that was Nick bragging. Yeah, uh, that, for yeah, those yeah. Of you that couldn't interpret right. that, that that was Nick. Bragging. I'm really embarrassed by that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to brag. Yeah, yeah. So, so right, now, right. Uh, Xavier, can you translate that for us in, in real bragging, please? I'd appreciate that. Yeah, short and sweet. Subscribe to winning to CAB Winning Edge. Follow us on Twitter. Nick's got the sauce. 
I mean, look at the numbers. They speak for themselves. 52% win percentage. I am guaranteeing you there's not many podcasts that could have given you those kind of numbers this year. That means if you put your money with us, you would have walked away with money. Period. Point blank. That is how you brag, Nick. You know what I'm saying? Just, just, a, just short and sweet. Bring out the numbers that everybody matters. And at the end of the day, we're winning. It's CFB winning edge. That's right. My, See, my, all right, my that face is, is now... The, the color of, of that wall behind you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm loving the color of uh, Xavier's <laughs> wall. It is uh, looking burnt orange here on the camera. So uh, I, I don't know if that's how it looks in real life because the, the, the colors are different, but I, I, I'm loving it. So, uh, yeah, look, uh, we need uh, – Xavier is now your hype man, Nick. Uh, you can't do it yourself. No, so, I, don't, I, don't, I have uh, no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but look, it's an outstanding bowl season. And like Nick said, a lot of hard work went into this season for him, you know, uh, start out very frustrating, which, you know, uh, is probably really, really annoying for me. Cause I started out white hot on my articles and stuff. I'm over here. Like I was seven and three again, four weeks straight. How do you like that? And Nick's like, mm-hmm, great dude. Good for you. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely finished better than I did in the bowl season was an absolutely incredible run. I mean, I've been doing this, uh, for a while now and, and to see that type of run in bowl season is outstanding. I definitely did not have that run, uh, in my bowl pickums. So it was not, I, great. I will say the, the fact that, the early season selectively or like in, in basically the non-conference weeks were so bad. Like it forced me to uh, put a lot of thought into, uh, (laughs) yeah, like, like I, I hope I'm going to be able to, to learn from that and apply, you know, some, some new uh, methods for, you know, uh, opponent adjustments and conference, adjustments and and things like that um that hopefully will pay off in the future so that maybe uh you know we'll we'll have a better start and continue the you know past results are no guarantee of any future success of course but uh yeah hopefully hopefully i learned a few things from from that bad start had we just sort of you know gone 49 percent 51 percent something like that early on uh maybe i'd would have said, oh, everything's fine and, and, you know, missed an opportunity to make things better. And, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to turn that, you know, early negative into a positive on top of the, you know, finish that we had. So we'll see. Stay tuned. Keep yeah. the grind going. That that's what we say is uh, every, uh, uh, every failure is an opportunity to learn, right? That's, that's how it goes. So, uh, but this, this season was absolutely not a failure. Uh, got back on track and rocked it all the way to the end and through bowl season. And now we got a national championship on our way, but before we get it, we got a couple other things to talk about. We got a question from a listener. Uh, we want to talk about Harbaugh and Petrino, the transfer portal, uh, so let's just start out with, uh, you know, the question basically from Patreon, Nick, was what did we learn about some of these players in bowl season that could carry into next year? So, um, you know, whether that's CFF, whether it's just an overall rating, uh, whether it's just a player to be on the lookout for, um, what did we learn from bowl season and who are some of those players that stood out to you? Yeah, so so thankfully we do have some uh, folks who, who subscribe and, and support us, uh, who are, you know, very into CFF. I, I would like to, 
spend a little more time talking CFF in the future and, and have some uh, things going into uh, our returning production database, which is uh, kind of our, our first thing on the, the off-season to-do list. Uh, hoping to add some more CFF stuff. Well, definitely am, am adding some more CFF stuff there. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, from a CFF perspective, but also, uh, you know, could be applied to just, you know, general who's next type uh, conversations. Uh, I, I just went through and, and did it real quick. I'll have a little more time to um, put put more research into it. Uh, as we get deeper into the off season, but um, just look through sort of the stat leaders from from the games and, and thought uh, to pull out a couple of quarterbacks, running backs, wide receiver, a lot more running backs. I think were uh, that was that was a little bit of a trend. Um, but who should we keep an eye on, or, or what should be we be aware of? Maybe what should maybe be a little bit of a uh, you know false signal, and and I think that first one uh aj pageant the quarterback at rice had a big bowl game um true freshman didn't play hardly at all until the bowl um but obviously was productive in the bowl game and and uh put up good numbers you would think you know bright future ahead uh but rice immediately went into the transfer portal and got jt daniels who um, the head coach there mike bloomgren had, had been after him for years and years um so maybe that's a you know, wait and see type type thing, but uh, certainly a good opportunity for for Paget to show what he could do. We saw a really good bowl game from Tyler Shuck at Texas Tech, um, who in that offense, uh, you know, has the ability to put up huge huge numbers. Similar, you know, system. Obviously, they they imported that system from Western Kentucky, where it was a NCAA record setting. Uh, but Shuck had been injured. He's you know in competition for the job. Probably will be carrying into next year, but is coming back. It was good to see Quinn Ewers uh, come back from a, uh, you know, kind of a middling, uh, at least second half of the season after he came back from the injury. Um, never really, you know, looked super comfortable, consistent, that sort of thing. Maybe he's a little bit of a, a post-hype sleeper type um, because I, I do think that, you know, getting a full uh, season's worth of work with, what was basically his true freshman season, um, you see a pretty big jump usually from from year one to year two. So, you know, excited about that. Um, more to what uh, the question was, was I think uh, looking at running backs, you know, Jermaine Brown was maybe the first one we saw took over for, uh, uh, gosh, he's already off to the NFL. I've already forgotten his name, McBride. <laughs> at, at UAB, yeah, uh, Dwayne McBride, absolutely. But Jermaine Brown has been basically split carries this year. So um, they will have a different offensive system, different head coach with Trent Dilfer coming in. So it's not necessarily a, a slam dunk that he's going to be able to, um, you know, carry over or, or that we can expect a heavy workload. Um, but something to, to keep an eye on there uh, because Brown had a, a really, really excellent, you know, uh, bowl game um, looks capable of carrying a heavier load um, and also contributes on special teams uh, in the passing game, which is something that um, uh, McBride really didn't do. Um, so certainly a, a perhaps better all around weapon. Uh, but, you know, McBride was, was really, really special 
uh, more as a bell cow type running back. But um, some other names that, you know, jumped out to me at that position. Frank Moore obviously had the uh, record setting bowl game or, or, you know, just a huge, huge 300 plus uh, rushing yards. He's going to be a senior next year. Um, seems like he's set up to, to have a, a big year. Kavorian Barnes at UTSA um, looks like he's, you know, ready to, to take over there full time. Got a little bit of a slow start this year, but, but that uh, UTSA running back position is, is traditionally, or at least the last few years been uh, really a, a sought after uh, CFF, you know, uh, spot. And, and Barnes really looks like he could be that next great UTSA running back. We saw Ashton Genty uh, at Boise state get, a little bit more opportunity than he had gotten, you know, a good bit of, of this season. Same for Keenan Kristen at San Diego state. Ginty looks like still will have, uh, you know, competition in, in the backfield there, but Kristen it's opened it up a little bit for him. Uh, Bucky Irving at Oregon uh, didn't win the job right away, took over mid season and, and really started to, to play well. The Quint Allen at Syracuse um, really stepping in for Sean Tucker looked like he's going to be a big part of that offense moving forward. They're also having an offensive coordinator change Boise state as well. Um, so keep an eye on that. Amari DeMarcado at TCU took over for uh, Kendra Miller when he went down in the uh, semifinal uh, 150 yards against Michigan, you know, pretty, pretty solid. Uh, certainly take note of that. And, and I expect Miller will probably go off to the NFL. So DeMarcado probably in line for a, a heavier workload. And then just real quickly, some receivers that, that uh, had huge bowl games or have really stepped up in, in the latter part of the year, look like they're going to have an opportunity to do uh, even more in 2023. Uh, Devin Voison at, at South Alabama really emerged late in the season, had a huge bowl game. Uh, Kobe Paysour looks like kind of the next in line behind Josh Downs at North Carolina. Squirrel White, you know, somewhat similar at, at Tennessee, had their top two guys not play. Uh, true freshman, he's in line maybe for a huge year at Tennessee next year. Brendan Rice, everybody knows the, the bloodlines there, but without Jordan Addison, uh, looked like maybe the, the number one guy at USC next year. We'll see. Um, Malik Neighbors at LSU's really come on late. And then, of course, you know, Keishon Booty is, is off to the NFL now. Uh, and then Isaiah Williams has been a personal favorite of mine for a while, former quarterback, uh, really, really dynamic player with the ball in his hands. And Illinois is bringing in a pretty, you know, high-profile quarterback. And, and Luke Altmaier uh, might perhaps uh, take that passing game to the next level. I know Illinois, you know, is still likely a, a run first and, and maybe even run second type offense. Um, but Isaiah Williams, you know, gets a, a lot of, you know, high target share and, and uh, is explosive and, and, you know, could take a short pass a long way. So uh, we'll see, assuming he comes back, um, would be excited to see sort of in his, his last go round what he might be able to do in 2023. Javier, is there anyone here that uh, you saw in the bowl games that you were uh, thoroughly impressed by? I mean, obviously, I don't expect you to have a uh, list like Nick did. Uh, but uh, who from the games are impressed you and you're looking forward to seeing more of? Yeah, I'll kind of start backwards here and I'll start with kind of the playoff games. I think Julian Fleming is a guy that has a big takeover power next year. Uh, I know that they should be losing, you know, Jack Smith and Jigba, obviously, to the draft. Uh, but that's a guy I think that once you saw Marvin Harrison go out, looked really fluid. 
Um, he was also a former five-star. Once again, obviously Ohio State is chock full of them, but looks like a guy poised to have one of those, you know, great years. Maybe the third, the, you know, the, the third head and the three-headed monster of that receiving core next year. Um, we talk about quarterback play. Uh, Taylor Green out of Boise State is one I'm looking forward to going as he continues to progress as a quarterback. Obviously, he's one hell of a runner as it is, uh, but as he progresses as a passer, it's just going to open up what he does on a consistent basis. Uh, so that's something I'm looking forward to. Um, and I'm going to stick with kind of like the young quarterbacks that I saw. Uh, the Liberty Toledo game featured two of them uh, with, with Caden Salter and, and Daquan Finn. I think both of them have bright futures um, in systems that, you know, breed offenses. Uh, obviously, we know Toledo and Liberty can both put points up and have done in the past. Um, and the better that they get, the more opportunities they're going to have to put up, you know, uh, a ton of points. Uh, Seth Hennigan out of Memphis, uh, once again, another sophomore, had a really good showing in the bowl game um, against Utah State, three touchdowns, um, and looked poised to kind of have that job and, and progress in that job as well. Uh, so I like to see – I'm looking forward uh, to see what he's able to do going forward. And then lastly, as far as a young quarterback is concerned, Riley Leonard at Duke um, had a really just solid season. Yeah, uh, you know, almost three thousand yards, twenty touchdowns, six interceptions. Once again, another young guy, only a, a true sophomore, has the ability in a, in a, in a good system uh, to kind of you know find his way uh, into you know a lot of people's CFFs uh, going forward. Um, as far as running backs, I think Nick hit most of them uh, when I was thinking about kind of running back play uh, when we're talking about going forward. I will say though, I, I'm extremely excited to see what Oklahoma State does going forward offensively. Um, Ollie Gordon being only a freshman, but looking at the touches he got in the bowl game, uh, obviously no Spencer Sanders anymore. So you're looking for offensive production in and around that team. Uh, maybe he's the guy who ends up taking the, the bulk of the carries he did in the bowl game. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say Garrett Rangel has that job whatsoever just yet, right? Uh, but him being a true freshman, if he is able to get that job and once again kind of do what Spencer Sanders did, right, and have that job for three, four years, he's got to be one of the guys you got to think about as being just a consistent, you know, player for you going forward. Other side of the uh, rivalry, I, I should have mentioned Oklahoma had a couple of young yeah. running backs that, that yeah. played really, really well. Javante Barnes and, and Gavin Sawchuk both look good. Um, miss miss those, but but yeah, I, nobody I on defense. Oh, for IDP? No, no, no. I mean, no, I'm I'm just messing with you because because <laughs> you always like the Oklahoma defense. This is oh, a, this was this was a diamond Xavier. He hung me out to dry. Yeah, so, he did. I'm sorry. I passed I it right to him. He did yeah. not take the shot. Yeah, at all. So <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I see. Uh, I, I should have. I I should have uh, <laughs> been prepared for that. Um, let's talk about the Harbaugh rumors and let's talk about Bobby Petrino, uh, ending up at Texas A&M here. Um, first of all, uh, you know, Welsh today asked me about, uh, the potential for John, uh, Jim Harbaugh to return to the NFL. And I said, I think he's going to be coaching Michigan. I don't think he should leave. I think he's much more suited towards the college game. I think he's doing a good job there. And I think when you see someone like Nick Saban, uh, you know, who has taken over and gotten his team to the playoff multiple occasions as uh, won the national championship on multiple occasions. Obviously, Harbaugh doesn't have that type of success, but uh, he has been very, very good. He recruits well. He seems really like a duck in water. Then as soon as we hit, you know, stop on the recording, I see this, uh, you know, report that Michigan is under investigation and there will be formal allegations laid upon them. Uh, it's not going to be something serious. It's not, you know, a gigantic scandal or anything, but something might, might hurt the program a little bit, probably not make Jim Harbaugh look the best. So 
I do think that that opens the opportunity for him to jump to the NFL. Um, the Cardinals, I think, have been the biggest rumor, which is insane to me because, you know, it's it's not every day. Not everyone's going to be like Clay Helton, right, where you go from a run-first offense to a pass-heavy offense in one year and have some type of success, especially in the NFL. He has his team that Cliff Kingsbury has built, and he runs a very different offense than that. So I don't know. Didn't seem like a, a very good fit to me. Not saying that it can't happen or that Harbaugh, you know, won't make the jump. But what are your thoughts on Harbaugh potentially leaving Michigan, Nick? I, I don't, I don't know. It just seems a little strange to me. Well, I initially would have agreed with you. They're just like, no, you know, he seems really happy. He's got Michigan, uh, you know, back to national championship contending status has done it back to back years. Seems like they're, they're really finally rolling there uh, after kind of sputtering a bit and, you know, why leave? Uh, Because that, that you're so close to, to getting your alma mater to uh, a national championship. Um, however, this keeps happening. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, he interviewed with the Vikings last year, said that was the last time. Uh, and, and then obviously it's, it's not, I mean, we knew that, that his name was going to come up whether he wanted it to or not. Right. Um, is, has, you know, made some statements. And on the one hand, I kind of respect the, uh, you know, uh, can't guarantee anything. Don't know what the future holds. You know, I, I kind of get that. I understand that a little bit. Um, we still see the, you know, Nick Saban clips. I'm not going to be the coach at Alabama. Uh, <laughs> and, and then what a week later, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I, I kind of respect him not giving a flat out denial, but it's not a flat out denial. And so it kind of, you know, you think, all right, well, maybe, maybe he will leave. And, and I don't know, he's pretty unpredictable. Um, I obviously don't pay as much attention to uh, the NFL and news cycles and things like that um, in the NFL that, that you guys do. Um, the one that to me, just because I'm old enough to remember Jim Harbaugh playing for the Colts, um, that seems like a little bit of a, you know, just fit. I don't know. Uh, I hadn't heard the, the Cardinals thing, but again, I hadn't, uh, paid very much attention. So I don't know. I mean, if, if there's, uh, uh, an NFL team that wants him, I obviously am a, a, you know, college football specific person. If I were a coach, I'd probably be an NFL person because all you have to worry about is football. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to recruit. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, all the, the outside, uh, factors. Um, it, it, to me, seems like a little bit of a lifestyle choice to, to say that, yeah, if you get an opportunity in the NFL, uh, you get paid just as well, if not better, and, and uh, don't have to worry about anything but, um, you know, 53 guys on the roster. And if those players aren't good enough, you can uh, replace them, you know, a little bit easier than, than you can in, in college. So um, I get the pool. I get why. Uh, it would be difficult for him to say no. Um, he, similar to how he's gotten Michigan so close to a national championship, uh, was on the losing end of a Super Bowl, took his team to a Super Bowl. 
Um, so, you know, he, he's mentioned that he would love to, to win a Super Bowl someday. So uh, it won't shock me one way or the other. If he, if he leaves, you know, would it be surprising? Maybe shocking. No. Um, but he specifically Jim Harbaugh is, is pretty uh, unpredictable, but also he's fairly unique in that um, he's had real NFL success. And so, you know, a little bit different than Saban or certainly Matt rule or uh, any of the other guys that we've seen, um, uh, you know, make that jump in, in the last generation or so. Um, he's one of the, the few that has, you know, obviously uh, Pete Carroll, but um, other than that, you know, he, he's in, in pretty rare company when it comes to uh, taking, you know, a college background and, and uh, translating it to NFL success and makes you think that he, you know, could do it again if, if that's the route he chooses. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, Harbaugh potentially going to the NFL. Do you think it's going to happen? Do you think this mm-hmm. is uh, a question? Uh, do you think he should? Yeah, I think he'll end up leaving. Not this year, though. Um, I, I think that ultimately his goal is to get back to the NFL. Um, and, and to find himself in a situation where he can win, more importantly. The only problem is right now I don't think there's many spots in the NFL for him to walk right into a winning situation. Um, I think most of the jobs that he's been linked to are pretty much either rebuilds or on the cusp of having to rebuild, um, and I don't think they're appetizing enough for him to leave at the current moment. Um, on top of that, I think he has unfinished business at Michigan. Maybe if he would have won a title this year, it'd be different, right? He would have done what, you know, very few have been able to do at Michigan uh, since his time, you know, playing, being there, right? So, you know, I I think that if he had been able to win a title or even being in the national championship with Michigan this year, maybe it'd be a different different conversation. Uh, But until then, he's still under under contract until 2026. Um, I think you see him at the very least finish out or get close to finishing out this contract uh before he ultimately ends up leaving michigan for you know the nfl and once again like i said it would have to be a job where he's walking into a situation where he's not having to build a team from scratch Uh, i think there's an air that he loves about college football in that i think he understands you know and nick alluded to it the rarefied air he could be in if he ends up winning at michigan right um on top of that i think that when you win in the nfl the the lastingness of that win doesn't have doesn't have the same effect, right? You win a championship in the yes. NFL, it's like cool, congratulations, buddy. Do it what again about next season, right? Yeah, what about next season. <laughs> Whereas if you win one national championship in, in college football, it, it can carry you the rest uh, of your career, you know. Um, and I, and I think that that has a large has, uh, you know, is appetizing for him. You know, having that ability to have the name of the field or a field house be named after him after his coaching tenure is over, you know, you know, being able to have something like that because of the fact that he brought a single national championship or multiple. But I'm just saying if he only were to bring one national championship to Michigan, that's much more than bringing a Super Bowl, I don't know, to to the Arizona Cardinals, uh, to be perfectly honest with you at this point. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that with the Cardinals because they've never won a Super Bowl, but that's fair. fair. I, I, I understand the argument yeah like you know the pressure never comes off in the nfl ever you know no. you you can you can never win in college and keep your job uh you know i mean you know, how many national titles does kirk ferentz have 
you know, I mean, right. uh, and how long is but on the other side, you got Gene Chizik and Ed Ogeron, who yeah. national champions, and then yeah. two years later, yeah, <laughs> which is uh, you know, a, a bigger question to me is how much does coaching count? Because I look, coaching, I think a coach can come in and ruin a situation, right? Yeah. I think they can butcher it. I also think that they can come in and make a bad team good, but I don't know if any coach can make a team great. The players have to do that. So uh, that that's, you know, that's Tom Brady wins six Super Bowls with New England. You drop him into Tampa Bay and he wins it. What does New England do? You know, barely exactly. get back to the playoffs. So, uh, you know, uh, it, the same thing with Matt Stafford. You take him in Detroit where he's been mired in bad coaching his entire career. You drop him into L.A. He wins the Super Bowl, you know. So uh, the, the, player, the players matter more than coaching, obviously. I don't think that's breaking news. But um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think – I think Harbaugh is built for college. Um, I understand the want, though. I mean, the NFL is the top level, and you want to win at the top level. So I, I get, get that. that. But there was just a fervor that he had when he got to college football about like just changing or trying to change it, right? And I, there's something about that that I think he still hasn't been able to do yet, right? Like he just started getting over the hump with beating Ohio State. I just think that the energy that he came in with, right? He started recruiting in Georgia, started hosting satellite camps in the South, and everybody was like, who is this guy? What are you doing? I think that for him, winning a national championship makes all of that worth it. And I think that he still, until he does that, then he's still just, you know, the khaki pants guy at Michigan. I'm sorry. Like, I, I think until he's able to do that, especially with the energy that he showed the rest of college football, which essentially was, I'm coming in here to wreck shop and I'm going to do so my way. And you guys are going to have to just get used to it until he wins a national championship. Right now, that's just falling on deaf ears. You know, know what would be the worst for him, Xavier, is if a Sonny Dykes situation happens to him where he goes to the NFL and uh, he's coaching the Cardinals and they're rebuilding and whoever replaces and comes in and wins comes the in Natty. And, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that would make him look so bad. I would hate it. Yeah. I don't want to get too far ahead of uh, our, our conversation here, but if he were to leave, uh, he might be leaving the preseason number one team. And a lot of polls, maybe our power rankings. We'll see. <laughs> that is, uh, that's interesting. Uh, we are going to get to that in a second. But before we jump in there, let's talk about Bobby Petrino a little bit, uh, ending up as the new offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. I mean, look, you know, regardless of what Bobby Petrino did off the field and and all that stuff, and, you know, I know a lot of people don't like him because of that. I get it. I totally understand. Uh, Texas A&M has got to get some offense here. They just do. Uh, You know, defense is great. They've had issues on offense whether it's personnel or coaching or scheme or whatever, they need to get it fixed. And Bobby Petrino can do that. So I don't, I don't think this is bad. I think he did what he like just accept the job in uh, UNLV and then leave immediately. So, uh, I mean, this is the most Bobby Petrino story that maybe we could ever find. All you got to do right. is get him on a motorcycle with someone, I guess, uh, to, to, you know, really cap it. But uh, Nick, your thoughts on Petrino going to uh, the Aggies and, what can he bring to that offense? Bobby Petrino can can coach offensive football. I mean, he can. Uh, he, uh, you know, the the you don't necessarily expect it to work very 
uh, long. <laughs> um, don't necessarily expect him to be there very long, but I would expect that if Jimbo Fisher gives him control of the offense, which is a little bit of a question because he's been very hesitant to do that, you know, his entire career uh, for anyone. Um, but, you know, I, I have to expect that Texas A&M will be improved offensively. I mean, Bobby Petrino just, he, he produces good offenses. Um, the systems, the terminology uh, that, that Jimbo has run in the past is very similar to Bobby Petrino's. There, there won't be, you know, uh, much of a learning curve. They could keep all the terminology the same, most likely. Um, and Petrino could just come in and, and uh, make some things better. And, and, you know, perhaps we would be talking about Texas A&M as a TCU type team next year. Um, it, it could happen. Now it might just end in a, complete disastrous way let's go for um, that one. i think that's that's probably most likely um i mean you saw so many people after the news came out that you got jimbo fisher bobby petrino and dj durkin as your three uh you know that that's an interesting combo there at, at texas a&m and and uh yeah it, it could end spectacularly poorly but i think that you know, just looking at it from a football only uh, perspective and in 2023 immediately that Texas A&M should be optimistic that, that they will have a better offense. Xavier, uh, your thoughts on Petrino. And like I said, you know, um, maybe not the best person, all that stuff, yeah, you know, uh, but uh, guy can coach. Right which is why he continues to get job after job after job, right? You, you, you put the person aside for a second. The guy can coach an offense. Um, they need a refresh at, at Texas A&M as far as offensively is concerned. And I think what Petrino will do, and Nick alluded to it a little bit, is it gives Jimbo a guy who he trusts and has almost similarly a resume of Jimbo. Like, he, wherever Bobby goes, his offense typically works, you know, and I think that at the end of the day, the biggest thing for Jimbo right now is having somebody he can trust call the plays. And he hasn't had that while there. Uh, and, and I think that for AM, if they're going to take any step in the right direction as far as offensively, they need him to take the, you know, take the reins and, and move the pressure off of Jimbo calling the offense. I think that is dead and done. We tried it, it's not it didn't work. Move on from it. Uh, and at the very least, I think Petrina will give a little bit of a refresh. I can't wait to see what the spring game looks like now. Uh, for them to see what it looks like, you know, uh, against their defense um, immediately. Uh, because I think at the end of the day, the big thing about Petrino's offense is how much at this point, if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, how much film do you actually take from it from the levels that he's been at recently, right? Do you take any of the footage that he did over the last three years while being at Missouri State? Yes or no. Like you, you may look at the scheme, but obviously what he did with that level of talent is going to be different. And that's going to be an exciting thing for Texas A&M fans. Is, you know what I'm saying? If he if he did put the uh, the numbers that he did at Missouri State, only imagine what he could do with some of the talent that is going to be on display at Texas A&M. Uh, so I'm excited to see what their offense looks like because, Lord, has their offense been a eyesore at the very least. That, that what was it, at Miami 
a and m game that they had earlier in the year made my eyes bleed how little that <laughs> offense moved from both sides of the football uh or so from both teams that week so yeah i'm, I'm excited to see what they're doing offensively especially with the fact that a and m has begun to recruit better, especially offensively. Looked like Connor Wegman took a next step in the second half of the year for them. Um, and if he can be the guy for them going into the spring and in the future, I, I like what they I like what they have as far as a talent base uh, for uh, Petrino to work with when he gets there. Yeah, no, they they talented team. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll at least give him that. Uh, yeah. Not much more, but I'll at least give him that talented team. Uh, Got to get it working there. Um, Nick, let's talk. You were asked a question this week about your top 25. So uh, for 2023, uh, you just kind of mentioned Michigan may be near the top of this list here. So um, do you want to give us your top 25? How, how do you want to do this? So I, I've i been sort of alluding to it on, on Twitter because this time of year, I always uh, look ahead. I just can't help but look ahead. Uh, but also for those who are so inclined, um, we do usually have had a pretty good run of success the last uh, several seasons of, of looking at, you know, those uh, very first national title futures, uh, which last time I checked a few days ago, none had been posted yet. I could be wrong about that. Um, if, if anybody sees some, send them my way. Uh, but usually right as the national championship game is is ending, you get the first odds posted, whether it's offshore or, or I don't know if somebody um, in the states posts them right away now or, or not. But um, you know, the year 2019 when LSU uh, won, uh, we were looking ahead and and they had a pretty good profile. Thought they were going to be really high in our ratings. Um, last year, Georgia was that team. I think they were something like 10 to one in those first odds. And, and I was pretty sure they were um, a solid number two in, in our ratings. Um, this year it, it was Ohio state uh, that I, I thought we had a little value on and, and ended up coming short on that. But um, you know, had they not had the injuries, maybe a different story had, had the last uh, five minutes of, of that game, not gone perfectly for Georgia, maybe a little bit of a different story. Um, but we usually do a pretty good job looking ahead and I am less clear at this point than I have been maybe in, in our history. Um, in part because it, it's more unpredictable than ever to know, okay, who's transferring, who's, you know, all that sort of stuff, uh, who could add, who's going to be aggressive, who's going to uh, just sort of, you know, next man up type thing. Um, but it seems to me that 2023, there were about 11 teams I wanted to put in the top five and like <laughs> 20 I wanted to, you know, have in the top 10. I mean, it, it, it really looks like um, it, it really looks wide open. Uh, but I do think that as we stand right now, and I'll, I'll give you our, our top six. I think our, I think the top six to me is, is tier one. And that's a bigger tier one than I ever remember. I mean, last year it was basically, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state were kind of co-number ones for a lot of the off season this year. I think it could be six teams who are a potential number one, maybe five and a half. I mean, the, the six team I'm going to get laughed at. Uh, probably, but um, I think Michigan is probably right now 
are preseason number one. I think they've got the best shot. If Harbaugh leaves, they might fall a spot or two just because we do have a head coach rating that, that goes into that. And maybe if he's not there, their roster changes a little bit. Maybe not all the uh, transfers that they're getting, um, which they've knocked it out of the park early in the transfer portal. Um, I think Michigan's going to be number one. I think USC is got a shot at number one. I think by the time we kick off in August, it would not shock me if USC is number one because I do expect them to be very aggressive. They've already been very aggressive in the portal. I think that defense, which has been bad, uh, obviously is is going to look completely different, not just because they're losing their two best players, but because they're going to bring in uh, a lot. I, I, I just think they're going to be that aggressive. Um it's a little tricky what to do with sort of the, the usual suspects for me because both Georgia and Alabama, as well as Ohio State, um, are all replacing quarterbacks. I don't necessarily expect any of them to bring in, uh, you know, a top uh, transfer. So they're probably going to get penalized a little bit in the way that we calculate things because their quarterbacks uh, will not rate as high as as they do in, in 2022. So I have Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama, three, four, and five, and all of them seem too low. Uh, I think all of them are national championship contenders and potential preseason number ones. And then I I think Texas. I think Texas is in, in the mix. Uh, our numbers, the computers all over the place love Texas this year, even though they uh, disappointed Record-wise, they consistently ranked in our top 10. Um, and they actually, you know, the underlying numbers, they played better than, than their record would indicate. Usually uh, a team like that, especially one that is uh, as talented as, as Texas, and they're another one who, like USC, I expect to be very aggressive uh, in the transfer portal. Um, I think there's a, a, a legitimate chance that Texas is in that, you know, preseason top five conversation so we can go throughout the the list maybe a little bit quicker but curious what do you guys think about there being maybe a bigger group of national championship teams that being a little more wide open and then specifically you know those six teams uh am i crazy or, or are the numbers going to be completely wrong I, I think those are going to be the top six teams in in some order Javier, Nick's a genius. I've always uh, said that. Uh, never doubted him ever in my life. Uh, of course, Texas is in this top six. Uh, not a surprise at all to me. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit of a surprise uh, just because they did kind of peter out towards the end and they're losing their best player in B. Sean Robinson. But great quarterback competition going into the spring with Arch and Quinn. So they're the, obviously the team that everyone would raise an eyebrow at uh, out of these top six. But I think, you know, my only question, and I think this is going to go back to you, uh, Xavier, is USC offensively is definitely on this list. I mean, they have the Heisman winner and just a bunch of amazing players. But the defense, it's been Lincoln Riley's, you know, bugaboo. He hasn't been able to... Uh, work through it and it's uh, been consistently weak I think everything else on this list makes sense uh you know can the offense prop up the defense or how much better does the defense have to get at USC immensely better like this 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 defense needs to make a seismic jump 
so for this team to really hold on to that top six ranking. And obviously that would be, you know, right out, you know, if it's in the top four, it'd be inside the, the playoffs, right? Like at the end of the day, when you look at this USC team, when you watch them versus Tulane, you didn't think they could stop Tulane. Tulane had to stop itself. Like that's not a good thing. That, that, that's not good. That at any point in that game, you feel like Tulane – and what Tulane was doing, I think what's been so uh, unimpressive about USC's defense is the simplistic ver- versions in which they get beat offensively. Tulane didn't do anything special. They ran a zone run scheme all day. Uh, my boy Deuce at Tulane just kept doing what he wanted to do. And there was nothing that USC had an answer for. No matter how many people they put in the box, no matter how much more physical they thought they were going to get, not even if they put him in a second and 15, you didn't feel comfortable with USC's defense. So they've got to make whatever it is, a, a you know, a type shift for them to get, in my opinion, a, a bona fide early ranking that makes sense because defensively, you just know that there's going to be a consistent deficiency for them all year. And if Caleb Williams isn't the second, isn't Houdini all season long, you just don't feel like that's going to be something that they can continue all year long. Um, Texas says up real quick. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and we'll have plenty of time to, because <laughs> I'm going to be front and center on the USC uh, bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, like Oklahoma two years ago. Someone, someone mentioned this. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's a, that's a good point. And it's, it's, uh, I've always loved Lincoln Riley teams, I guess. Um, uh, one of these days I'll be right. We'll see. Uh, one, somebody mentioned this cause I, I put a couple of things out and, and um, someone said, brought up the, the point about the defense. And it's a, it's a great point. Like if things are the same, if the coaching is the same and uh, there's not just a huge influx of, you know, them bringing in half a dozen all Americans, I understand, you know, that, that, uh, the defense is a major concern. The offensive line, they've got a couple of, of mm-hmm. uh, big holes that they're going to have to fill in the offensive line. Um, but someone said, oh, you you can't fix this in one year. Well, in college football today, you can fix okay. anything. Yeah, You can fix absolutely anything in one year. I mean, Sonny um, Dykes. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so the roster, yeah, they, they haven't had great players. Uh, in, in some, or they haven't had great depth, I think, is part of it. They've had some individual very good players. Tuli, uh, Tupelotu, great, great player, excellent pass rusher. Um, Makai Blackman had a, a really solid year at corner. Um, but they haven't had great depth, and and you know, obviously, something's something's wrong in, in you know, maximizing the talent and, and getting everybody in a position to consistently uh, stop the opposing offense. Um, however, there's one specific defensive coordinator, uh, without a job unattached at the moment, Jim Leonard. I think if you have an opportunity, you give him as much money as you possibly can and say, <laughs> come in here and, and, uh, before you go off to the NFL, help us win a national championship, turn this defense around. Uh, and then to the transfer portal, I mean, USC is going to attract, a lot of really, really talented players. And I think the vast majority um, might be on the defensive side of the ball. I, I legitimately think, and they started, I mean, one, two, three, four, at least four full-time starters were, were transfers. And then mm-hmm. 
at least, you know, uh, that many uh, were in the two deep on defense last year. I, I think we're going to see very much the same. Um, and they've already brought in some really, really interesting players, um, some really projectable uh, players, like guys that – that. Um, one caught my eye. One of the first that they brought in, Jamil Muhammad, linebacker from Georgia State, hadn't played a whole lot of linebacker. was a was a quarterback until like two years ago. Uh, hasn't been incredibly productive. Had a good year, but um, they're they're going after guys like him who uh, have a very very high ceiling. And I'm curious to see how that works out. But then they are also supplementing a guy like Mason Cobb from Oklahoma State. Had a just very very productive year last year so it's going to be interesting to see when it's all you know said and done they're bringing in experienced guys like christian roland wallace from arizona um you know they've already got a few that that they're reworking uh, another arizona guy kieran bars you know big time nose guard uh big time meaning just actually large um <laughs> uh, you know it, it's interesting they're bringing in a little bit of experience here and then a little bit of you know just super high ceiling uh let's see what we can make out of this guy so far and and i know they're not anywhere close to done so um a lot of this is me just assuming that they're going to be bringing in some some really talented guys um and even if they keep alex grinch i'm not i'm not out on usc um because i think even then you know you can fix a lot of things uh in one year um but i would be even more optimistic if they're able to go out and, and bring in a Jim Leonard or, or somebody like that, you know, swing for the fences on a, a defensive coordinator hire. Um, that's so part of this is uh, I'm, I'm looking a little farther down the line than I should probably on USC. But I think by the time we kick off in August, that's what um, you're supposed to do now. They're, they're that, that, there. That, that's what you're supposed to do. That's why these are always called, you know, Way too, too early. early rankings yeah. uh, right. because they are too early. We got to get through, you know, the national championship and well, then the next signing period and all that to really put a, a ranking out. When do the first rankings usually drop? Uh, they don't do like the AP poll until August. Yeah. Um, but, but as it, it struck me that Xavier and I both, it sounded like had a different idea of how to approach the way too early. And he was a little more on the, you know, Oh, there's so much that you need to get fixed. And I'm, I'm looking farther down and probably you have down the plan should, yeah, but so it's it's you know do you do you react to what's what we're able to react to right now or do you assume some things and then maybe end up looking a little silly, which is possibly uh, <laughs> what, what I'm going to do. But I think I think right now, I mean, I don't know USC, but I, I cut you off. You were talk, about to start talking about Texas, I think. Yeah, Texas just needs to. Uh, Texas, in my, it's a culture change. There, there needs to be something of of a culture change there for how much talent that they have. And I know we've said this about Texas seemingly for the last seven or eight years, but you just don't see the physicality that I think that they need to run the table. Um, you know, especially teams know that Texas isn't is a little soft, to be honest with you, especially defensively. I mean, you saw it in the Washington game and in this most recently uh, the Alamo Bowl. Washington is not the toughest team in the country. They're also not the biggest nor the strongest. And they were carrying DBs around the field. And I was just, uh, I was awestruck at it because it it was much more of a culture thing than I felt it was an actual lack of talent on display. 
um, from Texas. You just felt like the kids just weren't there to handle business for 48, you know, for 60 minutes. You know, they were there to, you know, being at home. I don't know if they felt like that was just going to, you know, they were going to come in, walk in and win again because they were Texas. But I feel like too often times they have these kind of games where they just feel like they're going to win because they're Texas. And that just doesn't exist. Um, and so, yeah, I think Texas needs somewhat of a culture shift. Um, I'm not saying you completely clean house, um, but you've got to find kids that want to win and are going to be a physical presence. Uh, Nick, you alluded to them. To, to USC going out and getting, you know, uh, Jim Leonard, which is, a, you know, a, a bona fide defensive coordinator. The best defensive prospect in the transfer portal, portal maybe in a long time, is currently sitting in there. Uh, I know we didn't talk about the transfer portal today, but Jordan Birch being in the transfer portal, whoever gets that kid is getting a bona fide first-round draft pick, top 10-type talent. Um, you know, when he was coming out of, college, out of high school, Jeffrey Simmons was my NFL mock for him. That's just kind of the, the 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 physical specimen that he is. Raw power, uh, athletic, 6'5", 300 plus. Like this is a kid who can do it all. So whoever gets him in their defense, whether that be Texas, whether that be USC, whether that be Oregon, whether that be Georgia, Florida, a lot of teams that he's been linked to, he is a guy that you walk in first day and he makes your defense better from the first day that he walks on campus. Um, so that would be one hell of a get for Texas if they're trying to change the culture around their defense, right? I just think when you look at Texas. I know the guy that signed him out of high school might yep. might uh, be after him. We'll see. He was on yeah, staff at, at Georgia. <laughs> yeah, Dan Lanning. So well, uh, no, 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 Dan. Much, yeah, sorry, but yeah. So I think that right now, for those two teams in particular, that side of the football has to get fixed. I don't care if Peyton Manning is the quarterback for Texas next year. If they can't stop anybody. It won't matter. Um, the tackling. So, it's been the tackling for years. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I think that. With them and Lincoln's got to figure out a way to coach a defense. I don't know, like you said, it might be that he brings in a defensive coordinator like Jim Leonard and he hit, you know, he instills what what needs to happen. But it's it's like I said about the, the this most recent matchup in the Cotton Bowl. It's the simplistic way that they get beat defensively every single game I watch. And it's just like if they don't force a turnover or if they don't get lucky with a turnover, then their defense doesn't pick up a stop. And to have such a talented offense that you do, if this team had a defense, they'd be in the national championship right now, in my perfect, in my opinion. So those two teams in particular have to fix that defense. All right, Nick, uh, before we uh, b- before we leave this subject, give us the, uh, some other highlights of the top. You don't have to list them all, but who else did you put in this top 25 that maybe uh, is making you feel a little queasy? So, so those are the who I think are probably going to be the national championship contenders and maybe you leave Texas off. Maybe it's Michigan, USC, Georgia, Ohio state and Alabama are kind of that, that real tier one, the next tier, which stretches all the way to my current, what I think the top 15 would be are my top 10 ish type teams. Uh, Right now, Florida state, I think is very, very close to that top five uh, level. LSU probably is too. Um, I think Washington, Oregon, uh, and Penn State all impressed me uh, in the back half of the year and and all project like uh, pretty well, look like they've got a lot coming back. Clemson uh, will always, I think, be in the mix. Um, TCU, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think they're a one-year wonder. I don't necessarily think they're going to be, uh, you know, back-to-back national championship contenders, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Tennessee, I don't think we're going to see a huge drop-off. I'm actually a little bit of a believer in Joe Milton. Um, had a good 
you know, uh, bowl game and, and, you know, they look pretty good without uh, Hinden Hooker and, and some of their best guys from this year. So um, I don't think they're going to drop off huge and, and Notre Dame. We didn't spend Sam Hartman. Yeah. We just added Sam Hartman today uh, right before we you know got ready to uh, start recording. Uh, that's official. And, and, you know, he's a max rated player in, in our individual player rating. So uh, that's big. That that's something to build around and, and think that, that Notre Dame is going to be in that top 15, top 10 uh, conversation as well. Rounding out who, where I kind of see the the top twenty five, and these are power ratings. Uh, so so you know not necessarily uh, how I expect they'll end, and so there aren't usually a lot of you know mid level power five type teams or, or group of five type teams. But uh, Ole Miss, North Carolina, Utah, Oklahoma, Oregon State. Oregon State is going to be a, a pretty interesting team. Have them twentieth right now. We'll see. Uh, that could go higher, could go lower. I think Wisconsin is going to bounce back pretty well. They're at 21 right now. They've already added some key pieces. Another transfer in, in the last 24 hours, uh, Darian Varner from Temple, who I actually like a lot, had a huge year this year. Um, they flipped him from Virginia Tech. Tulane, they're bringing a lot back. Michael Pratt, quarterback, uh, have some pieces that, that you know they've got to replace elsewhere. Tajay Spears, of course, big-time playmaker, but a couple of uh, big pieces on the defensive side of the ball, but I think they're set up pretty well. Um, Mississippi State and Arkansas, you know, a lot of SEC teams usually in our top 25 power rankings, um, both bring back really highly rated quarterbacks to build around. So that's the biggest key piece. We'll just sort of see how the, you know, things fill out. The new coaching staff there at Mississippi State, they're making a lot of changes on offense. See what that looks like. Arkansas has had a lot of transfer uh, out. See what they can do. And then I was stuck a little bit on on number twenty five. I think UTSA with Frank Harris is going to be in the mix. One of the one of the top uh, G five teams moving to the American next year. Uh, Boise State brings back a lot. I mean, we mentioned a couple of guys uh, in the CFF question. Uh, Genty will be back. Uh, Halani, I believe, will be back as well. And, and then Green, who who Xavier mentioned, I, I think you know that core group on on offense uh, going to be a lot of fun. And they're going to be replacing some some real key pieces on defense and, and on the offensive line. But um, I think they've got a shot to you know UTSA, Boise State, and Tulane should be in that mix for the New Year's uh, six spot. Uh, and then I'm not sure exactly where Kentucky fits, but they brought in. Uh, you know, big time transfer quarterback as well. Did see some news today that that maybe they're not going to be able to get uh, Liam Cohen back from the NFL as their new offensive coordinator. But uh, Devin Leary, you know, good quarterback that that they're able to build around. And a team that I probably should mention, especially since there are some uh, reports that they seem to be in the lead for Brennan Armstrong uh, right now is uh, NC State. They don't project super well right now. I know MJ Morris and Ben Finley have, you know, some good moments. Uh, but if they bring in Armstrong um, and, and they don't lose too much on defense, I think it's a state will, will, you know, be in the mix maybe as a top 25 type team as well. Nick, hold on. I am disgusted. You did not name <laughs> one team that you should, that should have been in your, in, in your tier two. Depending on the people that come back, but here we go. Sure, yeah. Everybody's got an opinion. I'm curious. curious. They've already had their most important person come back, and that's the University of Washington. Oh, number nine. 
Oh, okay, cool. I'm just making sure. <laughs> I'm just making sure. Yeah, no, I think, I think they're, I mean, cool. that cool. Florida State, I'm, LSU, I'm, Washington, I, I think if things break right, um, and maybe that USC defense doesn't uh, take a big step forward. All right, we're good. I think Washington's in that playoff mix. I mean, yeah, they're 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 going to be a very very tough team to beat. The Pac-12 is going to be really fun, just as a whole. I yes, I, I couldn't agree more. UCLA uh, got Carson Steele transfer from yep. Yep. Uh, Ball State. That that's a that's a key piece. Really curious to see what the quarterback Carson situation. Steele, he, Carson looks like. one of those guys where you look up uh, like PFF, and his numbers are all in with uh, Bijan and Jameer Gibbs and mm-hmm. and all those yeah. guys. He's, He's been, been outstanding. Great. Uh, on a CFF note, I uh, when I'm going through and, and looking at a lot of stuff during the returning production, uh, I am, I think, a little more hesitant on transfer running backs from the uh, G5 level to the P5 level than I was maybe this time last year. I'm going to have to do a little more research, but I, I think I'm going to be a little more hesitant on Carson Steele specifically. But he does grade out really, really well. Looks good, uh, you know, on on video as well. So um, we'll see. But I think they're maybe in that mix. There, there are plenty of others um, in the mix. Any SEC team. I mean, if we're talking about uh, 2022, excuse me, 2023 TCU, it could be it could be Auburn, it could be Florida, it could be Texas A&M. Um, if you're if you're looking at teams that are coming in off of a disappointing year that take a big jump. Um, they're going to have the talent to do it. Don't necessarily expect it, but I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm incredibly excited about 2023. I think it, it seems more wide open than I remember it in yes. recent memory. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I like it. You know, uh, another year of uh, uh, under Sark. I, I'm definitely excited for it. I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. Uh, Nick, and, quick question. Go- Let's hear it. any love. Any love for the ACC Coastal? I, I know that they were not the greatest of divisions here uh, last year. Um, I, I'm sorry, not the Coastal. Yeah, yes, yes, I did. Yeah, I did mean the Coastal. As far as what we're looking at, is it going to be? Do you see Duke possibly elevating into another tier? Does North Carolina figure out how to play defense on a Saturday, not a Sunday? You know, you know, does does Pitt, you know, figure out a way? to find itself or does a team like Miami finally get it right with having the number four recruiting class, you know, this year, does, does that talent finally rise to the top, you know, from a, from a really disappointing year uh, in crystal balls first year. So it, it uh, makes it a little, a little weird. I believe the ACC coastal is no more. I believe it's just oh, true. ACC. Uh, but uh, Miami, I think is in that mix that, you know, that Texas A&M obviously, a bit of a disaster uh, a right. lot of things went wrong but can rebuild really quickly and have sort of a talented core to build around um i would have expected miami to be more uh in that usc texas just super super aggressive transfer portal right. mold and i think if they do that then i i do think that they are uh going to be able to to you know they'll be in that mix of of uh, potentially overrated uh, at least, uh, you know, how they look on paper, our numbers have always loved Miami and, and they've disappointed more often than not in recent years, but, um, uh, they would be my first, uh, uh, guess out of that, that group. I was incredibly impressed with Duke this year. And I think you're going to see Duke in like 
I think the, the first ever uh, way too early top 25 was the ESPN one. It's kind of the, the one that comes out a lot. Um, I know Athlon Sports does one on their website and, and it's become a, a really normal thing. And I would expect those more traditional ones. Maybe Duke will pop up on a few of those where you're kind of uh, looking more at how are things going to finish or teams that finished really, really strong this year, bring a good bit back. I think Duke's in that that conversation. Um, it would not surprise me if they are, you know, receiving votes in the preseason AP poll, that type of thing. Um, but the way that we calculate things, I just don't think their talent numbers are going to be high enough. Uh, they finished the season with nine wins. They're 61st in our power rankings right now. Um, for them to make a big jump, they would have to have an influx of, of uh, talent from the transfer portal. And they, they do use the transfer portal, but they use it a little bit differently where they're getting like FCS guys who are graduates right. who are coming in. Um, and so that worked out incredibly, incredibly well this year. And it might work out next year too. Um, but I expect Duke will probably be in that 50 range for us just because we just have a, a specific way of calculating it, calculating it. And potentially we might be underrating them. Um, that that's absolutely a possibility. Uh, but I think that the, the current coastal, there's still going to be a little bit sort of how it was this past year where, North Carolina and, and Pitt, uh, maybe even Virginia Tech. They've done a couple of interesting things in, in the transfer portal and have a, a decent talent base. Um, mm -hmm. They've always kind of clumped together a little bit right. in that like 40, 35 range with the ability to, to jump up into the teens um, if things go right. It kind of looks like that's probably going to be similar. Virginia, Virginia Tech's not going to start there, but I think they could get there. But, but, North Carolina, I mean, they look like a top 20 team, especially with Drake May coming back. Uh, but yeah. USC and Texas conversation, again, you know, how's the defense? What, what are they going to do there? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that that Duke is in the mix. Miami, just because they're Miami and, and will be more talented. Uh, but it, it's kind of a little bit of a blob, as it often is. Not a whole right. lot of separation. And, and somebody could jump up but there could be plenty of disappointment too. One more thing to do before we get into the national title game here, Nick, uh, the transfer portal. We know obviously Sam Hartman to Notre Dame. What were the other big names this week? Uh, so we, we touched on a few, uh, one that, that caught my eye that that's going to be really interesting at Maryland. Uh, they received a commitment from Caden Prather from West Virginia, big target, 6'4", 200 plus, you know, 215 in, in that range. Maryland lost a lot of receiver production, uh, but it sounds like Talia Tungavailo is coming back, at, at least okay. as far as I know. Um, so Prather, you know, stepping into to a big time spot there. Uh, we had a couple of commitments in the uh, – Washington picked up Dylan Johnson from Mississippi State. Kind of an interesting piece. I think Wayne Tulapapa, who kind of took over as the number one running back there, um, bigger loss maybe than some might realize. And, and Dylan Johnson um, is the second running back commit they got. They got Daniel Ngata from Arizona State. But uh, Johnson obviously has a lot of experience as a receiver out of the backfield. Uh, I think that's going to be valuable. Um, Ohio State 
has some some things that they're going to need to add, continue to add to the uh, secondary. They got Jahad Carter from Syracuse. Uh, Georgia Southern got a commitment from Davis Brin, who was a starter at a uh, quarterback at, at uh, Tulsa. Um, Penn State added Devin Carter, receiver from NC State. Um, and then uh, maybe the, the biggest uh, return from the portal, um, Grayson McCall at, at Coastal Carolina, uh, is, after getting some SEC interest, here's some whispers that that maybe uh, didn't quite have the grades to to you know land a, a, a power five spot. Um, but sounds like he's coming back to Coastal Carolina, and and you know that that's certainly always fun. But um, we're going to see another big uh, transfer portal um, period uh, once you know school is starting up. And guys are, you know, enrolled in classes and, and getting their uh, stipend money and things like that. Once that's secured, we've we've still got another, you know, two weeks or ten days or something of the the current window. Uh, you're going to see another probably big group of of uh, transfers enter the portal, um, and we've had plenty of those as as well. I mean, Jamari Thrash from Georgia State, interesting, uh, you know, see what he can do. Oklahoma State had a little bit of a. a surge of, of transfer portal guys um, curious to see how that shakes out um, there's there's plenty we'll we'll touch on more when when a lot of those guys have landing spots um, but it's it's been active certainly and and will continue to be uh, through mid-january uh, it's always fun the transfer portal I, I I enjoy it but I know it's probably the bane of your existence doing all those depth charts Nick so uh, it, it's it's a lot of work but uh, I mean, covering the sports, a lot of work every single week. So let's get into it. National championship time, Nick. Uh, Xavier, we are ready to go. So um, let's just dive right in. Uh, let, let's start with the line is Georgia by 12 and a half. I believe it's the biggest line in college football playoff history, which is uh, crazy. And then, um, you know, we have it closer to 11. So we're close to that number. Uh, but not quite there. And of course, under the 62 and a half by, uh, you know, about 10 points. So not a surprise that we're under. We are usually under here. But um, Nick, it's national championship time. Why does Georgia win this game? Why does TCU win this game? How does it happen? Well, from a, a projection standpoint, this is one of the games where if it were a normal week and there were dozens to choose from, uh, probably wouldn't put a whole lot of time and effort into it just the way the projections you know, lay out uh, the talent edge we see is closer to a touchdown. TCU is actually, uh, you know, doesn't, it, it's not like they're going to get completely wiped off the field talent wise. Uh, the stats only model has Georgia as, as, you know, two touchdowns plus. Uh, so those are on very, very different, you know, ends, big gap there. Um, and then our official model, is is double digits but it's you know pretty close to that 12 and a half at, at a little less than 11 um so we obviously expect georgia to win uh pretty big favorite but you know tcu has has won a lot of games that people didn't expect them to um and as i was you know watching the games uh last week doing a little more reading this week and and you know re-watching some uh key moments and highlights and things like that and georgia's the better team you know, top to bottom, they're they're deeper, they're more talented from from a you know position by position uh, basis. The way our numbers and our our you know position groups uh, stack up, 
Georgia's got the edge just about everywhere. Um, but TCU has done a really, really good job of one, you know, scheming up their opponents, taking uh, what they're able to, to see on film, what other teams have done to, to give a team, uh, you know, to give an opponent an issue. Uh, and they're able to, to take and adopt and, and you know, be um, malleable in, you know, both sides of the ball. Um, they've, they've just been able to do a really good job of giving themselves a, a chance each and every week, each and every game. And you only have to win one, right? I mean, if, if we were to, to look at our projected win percentage at, at close to, uh, an 11 point favorite, you know, and, and sort of extrapolate that to if they played this game a hundred times, we'd expect Georgia to win 73 of them. We have a 73% projected win percentage. Um, but you only play it once. And, you know, TCU is has got uh, eight or nine days to prep. Uh, they have a lot of speed on offense. They have arguably the best wide receiver in the country uh, in Quentin Johnston, um, who matches up pretty well. Both, both Johnston and the, you know, smaller, speedier guys – uh, we saw, you know, Keely Ringo have have some issues uh, against Ohio State, and it wasn't just Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, they were attacking him with Amika Ibuka as well. Um, so if you're able to get, you know, some matchups, and, and Ringo, obviously, some scouts love him. He was a five star guy. Uh, a lot of people think he's going to be a first round pick, uh, but I've also, you know, seen plenty of smart people say that he's a bit stiff and and uh, just, you know, not not great man man to man might be a safety uh, at, at the next level eventually. So um, to me, that's a, you know, that that's, that's interesting. Uh, TCU uh, could adapt what Ohio state did pretty well uh, and just operate at a high tempo. Um, Georgia likes to play a lot of guys on defense. And if you're able to keep that same defensive personnel on the field, uh, I mean, we saw, uh, Georgia get a little bit winded at times. I mean, we it was pretty early on in the game um, that uh, you know we we were hearing the the f word that that you know Jalen Carter was fatigued uh, against Ohio State and TCU is going to be able to you know do that pretty well also just run that same personnel out there uh, keep it on the field uh, if they're able to pick up a first down you know go quickly to the line run another play. Um, and maybe get Georgia in a position where they're a little bit tired and, you know, that, that uh, neutralize that pass rush a little bit, which Georgia, you know, this, this defense in 2023 is not the, the pass rush, not the defense uh, that we saw last year. They're, they're just not as dominant. They're still maybe the very best in the country. Um, But, you know, the gap is, is uh, a, a good bit smaller in 2023 than it was in, in 2022. And there are uh, some weak spots. Some of it's injury. I mean, Nolan Smith is out. Uh, some of it is, is you know, they're having to rely on uh, young guys off the edge. Michael Williams, true freshman, going to be a great player already, has been, you know, productive. Got a little banged up last week. Um, but Georgia really wasn't able to uh, rush the passer very much. Part of that might have been, you know, Ohio State was able to, to scheme them up a little bit, um, but also they were operating at a, a, a really fast pace. Uh, and then the the QB run, 
You know, we saw CJ Stroud take off and run more than we ever have. And Max Duggan has already, you know, proven he can be a really, really dangerous runner. So um, if TCU can take advantage maybe of, of some speed that they've got at the receiver position, uh, the tempo at which they operate to, to maybe tire Georgia out a little bit. Um, of course, you can't go three and out, have to continually move the sticks. Um, Kendra Miller, what's his his knee? How, how's that going to hang up? Uh, excuse me, how's that going to uh, hold up? Um, but if you mix in Max Duggan as well, uh, Georgia looked a little susceptible, certainly at times, um, you know, against the QB run against Ohio State. And, and then for TCU offense, or excuse me, on defense, they've, they've just got to, <laughs> you know, that, that's a little bit of a mismatch. At least it looks like it uh, on paper. But um, TCU did a pretty good job other than that big 54-yard run uh, that Michigan had, Donovan Edwards had on, on was it the first play uh, or at least the first series. Um, be, you know, after that or besides that, they only gave up 132 yards on the ground to one of the best uh, rushing offenses in the country and one of the toughest offenses in the country. There was a lot of talk about the 335 and, and oh, Michigan's just going to uh, be able to, to run between the tackles and, and pound them. Um, but TCU has done a, a good job, sort of. Uh, there was a, a quote in uh, The Athletic that, that has gotten a little bit of uh, notoriety this week, and, and uh, it's an anonymous coach. You know I love those anonymous coaches uh, pieces, but uh, talking about that, that, you know, quote, that style of offense, or excuse me, that style of defense is like an optical illusion. You see the size of their players and the structure of the alignment and everything tells you run the football between the tackles. Uh, but that's what they want you to do. And, and TCU's had some success. You know, they held B. John Robinson to 29 yards in a, in a November win. Um, they're also a little bit different of a three, three, five, than what Mississippi State played against Georgia this year. They're a little bit more that 3-2-6 that Arkansas and Ole Miss, who, who Georgia didn't play, um, you know, but I'm sure has seen on film plenty and, and, and all that. So Georgia certainly has a talent advantage position to position, certainly has a size advantage, um, has more future pros. But TCU, you know, there, there are some things that, they could learn from past Georgia opponents. Uh, there are some things where just little edges, you know, a little bit around uh, here and there. Maybe they steal something here and there to give themselves a chance like they have all year. Now, Georgia absolutely might win this easily. Uh, maybe the magic just sort of runs out for, for TCU. But if I'm and obviously sort of the approach I, I took, how, how is TCU going to pull off this big upset? Um, it would not be a, a, an absolute shock. Yeah. It might be the biggest, uh, upset in, in a national championship game that, you know, we have on record, but TCU is, has proven itself capable of winning, uh, any given game. And, and you know, I, I think that, that they certainly have a chance to win this one. Uh, George is a, a heavy favorite and I think, you know, fairly rightly so. Um, but don't don't be shocked if if this is a close game in the fourth quarter. Xavier, I mean, this everyone is saying that Georgia is just going to smack 
TCU. But I don't know that TCU knows how to play in a blowout game. Uh, I think every game they play has to be very, very close. And we saw Stroud carve up Georgia on the ground, and that is Max Duggan's strength. So, uh, you know, I I think it's going to be closer than people expect it to be, but I still do expect Georgia to win. I don't think that is a very, um, you know, I don't think that that's a very uncommon opinion. I think a lot of people probably have that, but uh, your thoughts on this game and um, is this just a Georgia walk? I think actually, and this is going to, this might sound blasphemous for a lot of Georgia fans. I think this TCU team would have given last year's Georgia team help. And what I mean by that is Georgia's offense this year, as we saw in the semifinal game, can run with an offense like TCU, could run with a team like Ohio State, right? has the horses, trust Stetson Bennett enough to throw the deep ball, to challenge your corners, and to make you play, you know, and not allow you to pack the box with seven and eight, as we've as we've seen a lot of teams do with Georgia in the past. With that being said, what TCU will do in this game, I think a lot of people who don't watch TCU and their first time seeing TCU was against Michigan is, that team's fast, and I mean fast, fast. And I mean SEC fast. They are not a team that you're just going to be able to say we're bigger, we're faster, we're stronger, and we're just going to do what we have to do. TCU is going to win this game with speed if they're going to win it with anything. They're going to have to get the ball out in space, get it in Quinn Johnson's head in a multitude of ways, whether that be behind the line of scrimmage or, you know, obviously in the pass play. If KJ Miller can go, that's a huge gift for them because I think DeMarcado, as good as he is, ran out of gas at the end of that Michigan game. I think he himself was a little tired as well uh, from having to have as many carries as he's had in, in one year. Or sorry, in one game. Um, but if Kendrick Miller is able to go, that obviously gives them a dynamicism to them that they won't have if he's not able to go or if he's not 100%. We even saw in the Georgia game with Ohio State, Mayan Williams was good for, you know, a quarter and a half. And then he you saw less and less and less of him. Um, and you saw the Ohio State running game kind of go with it as well. Um, Max Duggan, for all the good that he does in the running game, as, as much as he extends plays, I do have a concern with his ball control threw two picks in the Michigan game, really had opportunities to put Michigan away several times in that ball game, and they gave the ball away. Uh, three turnovers total as a team. And I'm just not sure that that's going to cut it this week against Jordan. I think his right? prop on half an interception, by the way, is like minus 240. Right. So <laughs> they, they really do expect at least one turnover. I will say one of those interceptions was absolutely not his fault. Yes. Uh, but – <laughs> yeah half half interception does seem seems unlikely <laughs> to me yeah <laughs> um and i just feel like tcu for all of the good that they do they let teams hang around and we've seen that with multitude of games in this michigan game you you blanked michigan in the first quarter you held them to six in the first half total and michigan still had a i won't say an amazing chance but had a chance to win this game late in that ball game and I think that that's my the scariest thing for TCU is does TCU know how to finish a game when they're not already in the front runner position? What happens if they do go down by two scores to this Georgia defense that now can sit back and force you to play, you know, 10, 12 play drives? What happens at that point? And I don't know if TCU has another gear but going fast at all times. And sometimes that's great. But we've also seen teams kind of run themselves out of it. I think this this reminds me very similarly to Georgia versus Tennessee. Tennessee likes to play fast. Tennessee likes to go. And at times in that game against Georgia, you just feel like Tennessee needs to slow down. 
and, and figure themselves out before their next play call. And so for TCU, will their speed become a hindrance for them in this ball game versus a positive? Um, on the flip side with Georgia, this team goes as far as Stetson Bennett lets them. I mean, as bad as the defense was in that game, if Stetson Bennett in that offense doesn't bog down for an entire quarter, they probably win the game by two touchdowns. Realistically, if he doesn't throw the early pick in the first te- in the first quarter, Ohio State's not up by two scores. And you saw how fast Georgia was able to score subsequently right after those two touchdowns. So if if Stetson Bennett has you know darn near a perfect game, which you take away that interception against Ohio State, he almost did. Uh, you 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 put yourself in a position where I think Georgia should win this game pretty handedly as long as Stetson does what he's supposed to do. Uh, now that also comes down to Todd Munkin. You know I think at parts in that game. He decided to go away from Stetson's ability to stretch the field a little bit. And we saw some of what we saw in 2021, which was keep it, you know, five to seven yards, intermediate routes, keep everything in front of him um, and, and don't trust his arm because he's, you know, looking a little timid back there. But as soon as he got away from that in that fourth quarter, the offense, as it did in the first half, got whatever they wanted. Uh, so I think if Georgia, if Stetson Bennett has a similar game to what he did against Ohio State, uh, barring the interception, Georgia should win this game by two scores. Uh, that offense just kind of does not stop itself or does not get stopped. It stops itself more times than not. Um, and whether that be going again, going away from the run game or Stetson Bennett making, you know, irrational decisions, that's the only way I see TCU stopping them. Uh, they're going to have to blitz a ton. TCU is going to have to blitz. They're not going to be able to get natural pressure, I don't think. Um, you know, winner is going to have to have another hell of a game like he did against um, Ohio, uh, excuse me, Michigan. But they're going to have to blitz to get Stetson Ben off of his spot. Doing that, and you saw some of the confidence that Georgia got with some of its receivers that haven't been there. Your A.D. Mitchells, Lad McConkie should be healthier. According to all reports, Darnell Washington will be back for this game. Brock Bowers barely touched the football in that game, and you saw what the offense was able to do. So if in the event that TCU does force itself to blitz to get pressure on Stetson Bennett, those horses that I think Ohio State did a really good job of keeping the ball in front of them for – 75% of that ball game are going to be allowed to run. And so that's my biggest worry for TCU defensively is how do you get natural pressure on them? Because Ohio State was able to get pressure with Zach Harrison and, and JT and guys like that. Can TCU do the same with their three-man front? Or do they have to bring one or two extra guys, which they did on J.J. McCarthy successfully? The difference is Michigan doesn't have the guys to run that Georgia does. Not at the all, you know, and not at the levels in which they do, right? They just keep coming at you with a different guy. You know, that last drive to win the game, Georgia threw it to A.D. Mitchell, Lad McConkey, Kiaris Jackson, and Brock Bowers. And it was just like, all right, that's four different receivers that just touched the football <laughs> yeah. all on one drive, right? You know, and, and that's kind of, you know, what you saw, you know, what, what struggles a lot of defenses is that you've stopped Brock Bowers, you've stopped A.D. Mitchell, but there's Darnell Washington in the middle of the field. And I think that's what, what TCU is going to find the hardest problem with. Against Michigan, they were able to kind of hone in on Roman Miller um, and Bell and make them, you know, throw it to everybody else. I don't think they can do that against Georgia. And for Georgia on the flip side, Nick, you alluded to it. As much problems as Marvin Harrison gave Georgia, the prob- the, the biggest thing is, is when Georgia's allowed to hone in on one or two guys, it's easier. You saw it against uh, Tennessee. When they were able to ho- hone in on Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman, uh, made it a lot easier. Right. It's when Ohio State had a Mecca Buka and then, you know, threw it to this guy and then this guy was open and it was like, OK, well, we can't cover all of it. We don't have enough talent for all of these guys. The way that they're going to scheme around Quinn Johnson is going to be very similarly to the way they schemed Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt 
trying out of that game. They're going to bracket coverage and make everybody else on that field beat them and, makes Matt, and make Max Duggan throw it to somebody else. And he struggled doing that at times in the year, uh, getting off of that read, uh, which was uh, Quinn Johnson. All right. Uh, let's, let's do some scores here. Uh, before we wrap it up, you guys want to put a, a score prediction Let's do it. out there for this game? I mean, we don't usually do that, but there is only one game this week and we still ended up going an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> you know, that that's just how we do things here at CFB Winning Edge. So, I just can't, can't stop myself from talking next year. Hey, listen, you gave me <laughs> the option to skip it and I did, <laughs> right? So I wanted to hear it, uh, you know, uh, but uh, Xavier, let's start with you. You got a score for this game? Uh, 45-30. 45-30, Georgia. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what do you think? Uh, so our our projected final score is 32-21. You mentioned that's, oh, that's what a under. game. Yeah, and and based on, you know, what I said, TCU's potential uh, roadmap to success uh, would not be that, would need to be probably another high-scoring game. Um, so... As usual, not a whole lot of confidence in there, but as we discussed earlier, our projections have been pretty good. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm going to give it uh, to Georgia 42-28. Uh, I think that it's uh, 35-28 with TCU uh, having the ball late, driving, and uh, fumble pick something. Georgia scores late, <laughs> maybe defensively, uh, but, but scores late to – Put it away. Um, so you're and, both on TCU minus 12 and a half and the over. Uh, well, I would be on, uh, I'd be on Georgia because I got them winning 42, 28 to 14 points. So yeah, and I had them winning 45, 30. So yeah, yeah. So you're, you're, oh, sorry. Well, you, you, you said, I, TCU, I misspoke. Yeah, we're both on Georgia, Georgia minus and, 12 and a half I and the over. And the over. Yeah. So uh, obviously you didn't learn your lesson. <laughs> Our bowl season numbers <laughs> through the roof. Uh, winners look, only I, hammer I think, the tcu plus i like this nick where is yeah. this nick for the other hour in 33 minutes well, how about the last four years now? <laughs> oh man it's gonna it's gonna be a great national championship everyone uh enjoy it uh and, and report back uh let, let us know what you think the final score is gonna be we'll have nick throw out a tweet uh, what you guys think the, the final score is going to be. And, and maybe, you know, if you want any other details. So uh, it, it, it's going to be a fun one. We hope you guys enjoy it. Happy New Year, everyone. Follow us all on Twitter, at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Good luck, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.